Well, it's been 22 hours, and um, to this date uh, and this time, Russian Vitz has seemingly uh, not answered the call. So I'm going to go ahead and count him out for the, uh, the meeting in Florida. Uh, yes. It comes to a shock to I'm no one. Stunned. Literally He's no stunned. one. Uh, but yes, tonight uh, we are super excited for uh, our guest who is joining us. Um, Scott Clifton was born in Los Angeles, California. He is a uh, a daytime Emmy Award winning uh, actor three times, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I stole best known for his <laughs> nice. Uh, best known for his uh, work in the long running American soap opera General Hospital, One Life to Live, uh, and The Bold and the Beautiful. Also recognized for his YouTube persona, Theoretical Bullshit. He has cultivated a following in the online world of critical thinking and debate. And it is a pleasure to have him here with us tonight. Welcome, Scott Clifton. Thank you. That was such a nice intro. And can I just say, I really, really enjoyed your opening music. That was, uh, it was, uh, it was rhythmic. You. It had a good drive to it, a good beat to it. I was, I was nodding my head along with it. This is, that's, that alone is worth tuning in, I feel. Kyle actually well, wrote all that, believe it or not. That is if all original. You, <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Really? Um, if yeah, yeah so cool. if, uh, for those of you out there watching, if you are interested in the music, you can actually go to iTunes, Spotify, iCloud, or uh, any of your other musical platforms that you're a part of, and listen to the soundtrack. There are uh, there are 16 different uh, tunes that we use for the the intro and the outros and all that sort of stuff. So it's all on there for you to listen to, whether you want to buy it or listen for free. It's all there. Um, you can find it just by by googling it. But, uh, but yes, uh, Steve, would you please um, kind of introduce what we're going to be talking about tonight and the, uh, the direction we're going to be going? And then I have a question before we jump into the deep stuff um, for, uh, for Scott. Okay. Do you have the question first? or? Oh, yeah, we can do that. Um, yeah, do I, I, hinted, I hinted to this uh, prior to us going live, but um, you tweeted probably one of the greatest uh, tweets ever. Uh, two days ago, when you said that, when you said that uh, you uh, you uh, you were brought to tears by reading a Dr. Seuss book, and that would let us know how long you would make it in Westeros. I assume that you are a Game of Thrones fan, right? I, yeah, I'm a, I'm an unabashed. Uh, just the degree to which I am a fan is pitiful, actually. No, I don't get to claim that. That's not that's disingenuous because I haven't read the books, and anybody who's read the books would look at me and say you're not really a fan. So I don't I don't get to claim I'm like a mega fan, but I really think it's one of one of the greatest achievements in television filmmaking uh, of of my lifetime, at least. Oh, easily. Uh, and you said something uh, that was really, uh, really well said before we went live. Um, and I'd like to, for you, to, if you don't mind saying that again, about the uh, the sort of give and take that oh, yeah. people have and, and the connection that they have with, uh, with TV shows now. Yeah, yeah. I was just because, well, we were talking about how... Um, uh, was it Steve who hasn't who hasn't seen it? Uh, who's never? Who, I, had, you, I, I, I watched. Person, well, right? I watched the first season. Okay, I did watch the first season, but at, at the time when I watched the first season, things were going on. Um, I really probably didn't get the full gist of it. I guess um, right, I just right. saw there was boobs involved and said, "Okay, this might be of interest to me." Um, but the storyline seemed decent, but I just really couldn't get as much oh. into it as I should have. So I will attempt to try it decent. again and binge watch it. 
I, I, well, I binge watch things. I, I binge watch like first seasons, like the whole eight to 12 things at once. Right? I do it over in a couple days, right? Yeah. So I might take the time to do that. If you guys suggest it to me, I'll take your word for it. I, oh I suggest God. it. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not one of those guys. I'm not going to call you crazy for having watched a season of it and not gotten into it. It is a Game of Thrones is a very slow burn and you, you, you kind of suffer a lot in the beginning and you're rewarded for that suffering later on in a really big way. But th this was kind of, this is what I was talking about before we went live is that there's a kind of, I think I called it like a, a television zeitgeist thing going on now where I think it, maybe it started with Lost, but you, you see it a lot in shows like Game of Thrones and Westworld now where the, there's a culture behind it that you, you're not supposed to just sit back and be entertained and not have to think. You, you are, the amount of thought that you're willing to put into it is proportionate to the reward that you're going to get back from it. So I would say, especially with something like Game of Thrones, there's a lot of names, there's a lot of locations, there's a lot of... Uh, exposition in the dialogue that talks about the history of the show and the history of the characters and and it's almost like attending like one of those murder mystery dinners where you have to really pay attention to what everyone is saying and who wh what the relationships are between everyone because there are you know huge moments huge reveals even that that will just fly right over the head of a casual viewer. So, and, and they do this on purpose. They don't hold your hand. You, you really have to work to enjoy the show. But, but if you do, it's, uh, it's, it's supremely rewarding. And so I, I think that's, that's kind of a new thing now. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think we've had that a lot of that before culturally in our television shows. And, and you said that you said something, uh, Absolutely correct. Uh, I just want to extend it a little bit where you said that if you suffer a little bit in the beginning, you'll get rewarded later on. But then one of the the trademarks of Game of Thrones is that they will instantly make you suffer again and 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 again. Yeah. And you're still suffering. So, so it's, still it's suffering. an investment. It's an investment of emotion and time, right? I mean, you do get emotionally involved with characters. Oh, yeah. um, oh, maybe yeah. like you said, I, I think I think Scott probably said the, the best that, you know, I I want to get involved with the, these types of, of dramas, but I don't like the slow approach. Um, I like to jump in. And you obviously that would take a – that's why it has eight seasons now, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah. The so there's a lot of storylines going on. Yeah. So, uh, I mean – Yeah. Let me give you a similar one that I, I particularly liked. It only was, I think, three seasons long, um, but it was really good. It was in, mostly in, in, in entertaining. Ever watched Da Vinci's Demons? Oh, no. I, th I thought you were going to say The Leftovers, which was also three seasons and, uh, and oh, did I watch the same that? kind I watched of thing. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, good. go ahead. Da Vinci's Demons. No, Da Vinci's Demons is really good. It's about the Medici family. Um, in, in, in the Pope's relationship to Medici's and uh, Leonardo da Vinci, and it's just a brilliantly written uh, series. So if it's anything like that, then I could probably get into it. But that only was three seasons. Um, but the thing was, it, it, it ended, right? And so I don't like getting emotionally involved with shows that get canceled or get ended. Um, I guess, I guess what, I, going into the first season, I was like, okay, whatever. Now it's eight seasons later, so maybe I thought that in mind too because everything I like seems to get canceled. It's just the way it is. I don't know what it is. I think they, they call me up and they say, Steve, you like this? I go, yeah, I like this. Okay, we're canceling it. My, okay. My advice for you, Steve, is to not get personally invested in any character. If you start, watching they all die, don't they? That's the only thing I know. It's like everybody. It's like Walking Dead. Well, everybody could really die for you, but yeah. 
It, That's uh, why I stopped uh, watching yeah. Walking, no Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah, no spoilers. Okay. Yeah. All right, Steve. Uh, go ahead, talk, tell us about what we're going to be diving into here. Well, yeah, I was I hoping to kind of dive into. Yeah, I don't know really. You know, either. here's the thing. Look at. Um, people may remember you back way back when. You actually had a, a lot of videos out. On a, can I tell you the guys that? Yeah. Okay. So you're you're you went by theological theoretical bullshit, which was a I guess your way of talking about philosophy on YouTube, right? Yeah. And yeah, you had a lot of you had a, really, a lot of great arguments. What's that? Go ahead. No, Sorry. Please, go ahead. No, I, I, there's a lag, and I it's hard for me to yeah. tell when I'm actually rudely so I'm, I'm sorry about that i yeah i was just saying yeah it started out as a kind of just a sort of counter apologetics cha channel and then it turned it kind of broadened into more philosophical stuff that didn't necessarily have to do with uh uh you know christian apologetics no but you brought up a sorry. lot of uh, back then back in the day i mean your channel goes back a while so back in those days there wasn't a lot of counterpoints to a lot of apologetics i mean you, you go back seven eight nine ten years or so um and so back then you when you had people running these these scripts and again um i'm not an atheist i'm not anti-theist i'm agnostic but uh you know i do know a little bit about philosophy and so when when you had people like matt slick running these narratives there wasn't a lot of people out there that had enough knowledge to go wait a minute here this is not really a good argument, Matt. Let me explain to you why. Um, and also, William Lane Craig has some really bad arguments and, and some other people. But you actually were able to break it down and go, hey, look, this is why this is not necessarily a, a good argument. This is why people tuned into your, your channel and watched your videos. But I've always wondered, where did you get that knowledge from? I, I don't know what your philosophical background is, but you, have, you had a really good in-depth uh, working understanding of these topics to really inviscerate them brutally so. Oh. Thank you. Uh, you're you're um, being a little too generous to me. I'm I'm actually uh, uh, I'm a high school dropout, so I have no formal education in this stuff. I um, the, the the reason I uh, sort of gravitated toward philosophy and and theology and stuff like that was that um, where I lived growing up, I, I I lived in in the valley, the San Fernando Valley, where I was born and raised there. Uh, and when I was around eight or nine years old, uh, we had a, a really big earthquake. It was the, the earthquake of, of 94. Uh, and our, our house was totaled. And the San Fernando Valley, this is like a sort of, you know, um, a, a very secular, liberal area. But even though I live in Southern California, there, there are pockets of religiosity. And where we had to move from there was a town that was... Uh, deeply evangelical. I mean, all of my new friends, all of my teachers, all my friends' parents, I mean, everybody was an evangelical Christian. Uh, and that just became my new life. And I was not, you know, I'm, I'm not like reacting to any kind of religious upbringing. I was raised in a pretty secular household. My my parents were philosophical, but they they were they were more into Eastern philosophy. So I had books on like Taoism and Zen Buddhism and stuff like that lying around the house, but I really didn't understand much about Western philosophy at all until I got to this new town. And I was surprised to find out that people really took this stuff seriously because I had kind of assumed, you know, I was eight or nine, but I had kind of assumed that, that Jesus and God and heaven, you know, was, was, analogous to Santa Claus. It's something that parents tell their children to keep them in line. And then you kind of grow out of it. I was, I was peripherally aware of religion, but not, you know, I didn't understand how seriously people took it. And so uh, suddenly I, all my new friends find out that I'm, I'm a non-believer. I, I don't think the word atheist was even in my vocabulary at that point, but 
uh, I became a, a sort of practice dummy for, you know, evangelism and Christian apologetics. And, all, you know, all my friends were handing me the case for Christ and, and evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. And they're telling me, you need to read the Bible. And, and, and I went to church with them and youth group, like almost, you know, every week, twice a week, because that was the only, it would have been the only social outlet, you know, for me to have. And so I became really immersed in this kind of culture. And it got to a certain point where the pressure was so much that it wasn't enough for me to say, Hey, sorry guys, I'm not buying what you're selling, you know, and leave it at that. I, so at some point I, I picked up a Bible. I mean, I had been given so many Bibles by that point. I had like a stack of Bibles that people had just given me because they thought it would do the trick. Um, so I started reading the Bible and I read all those, those, you know, counter apologetic or not th those apologetic books. Uh, and, and then I, and then I started having to think about it and, and testing that out, you know, in conversations with pastors and parents of my friends. And, uh, and then once I, I get, I guess I just, my, you know, I would get my ass handed to me. I would, you know, I, I would be asked a question that I didn't have the answer to, or, or given an argument that I didn't know how to respond to. And I would walk away with my tail between my legs and, and then I'd have to think about it and figure out whether I was wrong about something or I just didn't have the right answer. And if I didn't, what would be the right answer? Or if I missed something or if there was a, a false premise somewhere in you know, what I was responding to. So, I, you know, I, and over and over and over again, it was just a long, brutal, brutal, embarrassing process of getting humiliated and then coming back just a little bit wiser uh, and, and there's only so many, you know, permutations of those kinds of conversations you can have. And unfortunately there, there's really no amount of intelligence that will just a priori make you good at responding to a lot of these arguments. You, you just become familiar with them and there's, it's like somebody who's really good at chess. I mean, there's only so many combinations of moves you can make and yeah, there's, there's an infinite amount, I suppose, but, uh, you get familiar with patterns and, that's really it. I mean, that's it. That's it. I'm not, you know, I, I, I never studied philosophy. I, I, it's just conversations with people smarter than I and me kind of picking it up and, and being driven enough and stubborn enough to want to keep having the conversation and getting better and better at it because it was, it was interesting to me. Well, let me tell you the, well, you know, uh, the, uh, oh. the, the impact uh, real quick, Steve, um, because as soon as I put this on Twitter that you were coming on, um, this was the first response to uh to that tweet and this is from uh darth calculus he says i used to watch his videos the only person i saw who answered william lane craig at the time and then i lost track of him when i learned he was on a soap opera i was like well that's a change of gears he was the firstest smartest atheist i ever saw oh that's so nice great yeah. uh great handle by the way what was it darth calculus that's cool darth, darth calculus, calculus. Yeah. You know, it's it, first of all, I don't know if people know this, but I actually lived in Northridge uh, in, 19, in 1994. There was an earthquake in Northridge. It was a very, very huge earthquake. Um, I wasn't in Northridge yeah, at the time, but I lived in Northridge. Yeah, I lived uh, uh, literally on Winneka Street, if you know where that's at. Well, of course, of course. Are you? Yeah, were yeah. you? Was you okay? Yeah, yeah. I was in Indio, California at the time in 1994, which is not 
it's a, it's a decent, I don't know, hundreds of miles away from Northridge, but we definitely felt it. There was no question about it. Um, it was a, it was a almost, it was a 6.7 magnitude earthquake. So I do remember that. There was actually, there was one before that, 1970, the uh, Landers one, uh, that was a big one that when I was born. But yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I remember Northridge very, very well. I grew up in that area. But, um, you know, going back to what you were saying, how you learned about these things by trial and error, which is kind of funny because I had kind of the same experience. Um, back in the day, do you remember when precep hit the scene, right? These presuppositionists and these precept argumenters would come in and atheists didn't know what the hell to make of this stuff. They were like, what is this Saiten? And by the way, we, we've, I think we're going to try to tag Saiten Bernicate. Uh, he's a friend of ours. Uh, he doesn't really do much on YouTube every so often, but he, you know, he happens to like me a lot, and so occasionally I may be able to talk him to come in, and if you want to have a conversation with Sai Ten. Oh, what does that why, say about you, Steve? I like Sai Ten. What can I say? I, I like engaging with him. It's it's like jousting, you know, so. tit for tat, like chess, even though he's, sure. he's not as good yeah. as he thinks he is. But but it, it, sure. I, when I first got into the whole philosophical thing for the presuppositional argumentation, I was like you. I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> I'm getting stomped by these guys, and it's not. I'm not. There's got to be a defeater of these things. I don't know what's really going on here but then as you said there's only yeah. so much of the script and there's only so many things and you and you learn oh okay and and then it's almost like trivial to, 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 to debunk a pre-supper at this point is well, that what happened still, to you i mean there's yeah sure sure but there to me the bar the bar can't just be me feeling satisfied with my answer to an argument or a question the bar i mean otherwise like you just said, it does become trivial. The bar has to be giving the presuppositionalist in this case pause, uh, and that and that when that happens, that's very rewarding. Now, no rational person should expect that pause to stick, uh, and or, or at least you, just on principle, you shouldn't expect it to. And you walk away, and usually they you know they they might come back just like I would have, you know, they might come back stronger or with a better answer for that next time or whatever. Um, but I, yeah, presuppositionalism was around before I knew it was called presuppositionalism too. And I think that's true for a lot of us. I mean, I remember being, so I'm 34 now. I remember when I was 15 using America online, you know, to go into chat rooms and, and I would, I would like try to test, test myself out. And I would, you know, go into a Christian chat room and I would say, Hey, I'm a non-believer, convert me for free, you know? <laughs> and, and a lot of people would jump on that. And th those were fun conversations to have. But my first encounter with what I now know in retrospect was presuppositionalism was this anonymous user that just started asking me, you know, what, what are your epistemic foundations for rationality? And, you know, and I'm like 14, 15, and I'm going, huh? What is, I didn't, I didn't even know what epistemic meant at the time. So, uh, yeah, you, presuppositionalism seems designed to leave the interlocutor like a deer in the headlights, uh, at, you know. But, again, like you just said, there is a script. There's absolutely a script. And the, the most fun is when, you kind of you can knock them off the script and and then they try to go back to the script in a way that's like you know jamming a square peg into a round hole and you you, you can see that it's not fitting and they know it's not fitting and then you're and then you're you've kind of moved forward in the conversation a little bit because you get to say listen see the see do you see how this is not applying to our current conversation do you see how you're stuck with these same you know, canned responses. Do you see how that doesn't work? Do you see how we're not progressing here? And so, yeah, that's, yeah. 
I was I, I do remember AOL days definitely. Uh, on the whole presup thing though, uh, did you ever hear uh, Greg Bonson what he said about presuppositional argumentation? He actually said that the presup argument is an, an art, and he is he's he was one of the leading uh, presuppers. Um, him and yeah. Until and um, uh, who was the other one? Um, there's Bonson, Until, and Clarkian. Uh, Clark. So uh, he actually said that the whole purpose of presuppositional argumentation was not to even put forth an argument. It was to shut down the non-believer. It was to shut the mouth of the non-believer is what he said. So it was just basically yeah, rhetoric. That's all it is. Well, his whole thing, I mean, you know, Bonson, there's a camp. I mean, I think it's a large camp, and, and the the difference is just how much they, how much emphasis they put on this. But I think most presuppositionalists also happen to be Calvinists, and they also happen to believe that non-believers are insincere. Uh, and so, which, of course, raises the question, isn't presuppositional apologetics um, like a misnomer? Uh, but uh, yeah, but Bonson, I mean, his, it wasn't his whole thing that, you know, you're, you, you, there is no middle ground. You, it is impossible to find a middle ground. We are always operating from the assumptions of our worldviews, and it's impossible not to. And so conversation is just a non-starter. And this is why, you know, it's not about having a debate. It's about shutting down the non-belief. Of course, of course, that's ridiculous because presuppositionalism at its core is an internal critique. So <laughs> if you can make an internal critique of the opposing worldview, then, then already you've left your own worldview in order to critique the other one. The, the hypocrisy of presuppositionalism seems to be that internal critiques of presuppositionalism are not allowed, whereas presuppositionalists are allowed to make internal critiques of and, and that's one of the biggest complaints I've always brought to the table too, is that they're doing an internalist approach and that they keep switching. They, you'll watch, you'll, you'll see them switch between internalism and externalism and they try and they'll try mm -hmm. to make it very subtle, but they, you can't do an internalist to, to theirs. Right. So, but they, they have this weird thing where they're like, okay, well I'm doing an internalist approach and all of a sudden they'll be equivocating into some kind of externalist approach. And it's like, wait a minute here, you know, stick yeah. with one kind of thing here. Don't, don't be switching back and forth. Um, but it really doesn't get you anywhere because they have a lot of equivocations with things like knowledge. Uh, they want them, they, they want to, to invoke some kind of, Hey, look, you have epistemic uncertainty. Well, yeah. So what? Um, I think we all do. I think preceptors do as well. I think they just move the goalposts back because what they try to do is they say, Hey, look, um, I have a God here. I have a deity here. And he tells me, things in a way that I can be certain. I can't be wrong. Therefore, I am therefore to do things like just, I'm justified to use induction, right? So I've, I've just solved yeah. problem, humans problem induction by positing God can tell me that the rules of, of, of nature will be the same tomorrow. The rules of inference will be the same tomorrow. Laws of logic. Okay, they, they work. Um, and But it, it, it is just a shell game because they're just positing something by fiat and, and it doesn't explain anything. It's not explanatory. And it doesn't really resolving i mean you've, you've decimated matt's tag argument on this numerous times because his argument is just so fundamentally wrong and yet he won't he won't capitulate on it he still he, you know he still runs it he still thinks it's a very good argument yeah. even though, well alex you know you i i can i can see matt you know not, my argument was was a little different uh than you know, I wasn't I wasn't talking about internalism or externalism mostly because matt doesn't talk about that stuff um Mine was more taking him to task on 
the ontology of these, you know, supposed lo logical absolutes, which is not a real thing in philosophy. Logical absolute is just something made up. That's not like it's not a real concept. And so my, you know, it, it was okay. So if lot these logical absolutes are this, then then it then it then it entails this, which is a problem for you. If it, if they're this, then it entails this, which is a problem for you. I, I can understand I mean, that is. Um, abstract enough for someone like Matt to kind of shut that down and walk away from it and go, yeah, he just doesn't get me. Fine, fair enough. Um, he'd be wrong, I'd argue, but fine. Somebody like Alex Malpass, who, I mean, it is as clear and unequivocal and inarguable as, as it's possible to be. I mean, his refutation of Matt, of, of Tag, is... You have you there. You have to be. This is going to sound really bad. I'm so sorry. You have to be stupid in a way to not to think that Alex has not completely refuted the argument. That's mm -hmm. there's just no room for argumentation. The only wiggle room there is you the degrees to which you understand Alex's argument. That's it. There's no. There's no rejoinder to, yeah, to it, his pull, it is bulletproof i mean I, I it yeah his argument is bulletproof i mean there's just absolutely yeah. no getting around it. you have to be intellectually dishonest to, to to or like you said just you don't understand the material because uh his his argument is so very 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 sound i think we have somebody dropping in here by the way yes uh, hi this is, uh, scott, scott hi. this is a really good uh friend of ours this is shannon um we were uh talking earlier and um she was uh saying how big of a fan that she was and how she had some questions that she might want to uh uh she's an inquisitive she, uh, type before we uh <laughs> yes uh, we love shannon um shannon is our uh, our resident uh what how would you put it shannon you're our, our sane keeper you keep the sanity around here <laughs> yeah, um wow she wait she's the key she's the keeper of sanity man we are screwed I have a I have an important thing that we need to get out of the way though because the the live chat is is literally screaming and asking questions even though I've already answered it I'm gonna let uh, I'm gonna let Scott explain um they are wanting to know about the the animal that is directly behind you Scott could you give them a little uh, oh, a little info course. about yeah yeah this is um there's actually two animals we get the other one is like just off camera. Um, but this is Walter White. Hey, Walter, can you wake oh, up for a creepy. second, buddy? <laughs> like, no, <laughs> I refuse. See, now that was a show that I actually liked. I watched all those episodes; they were very good. I think that was one of the best shows yeah. on TV, actually. It was great. Well, actually, that uh, I didn't name him for the color of his coat. He actually, I caught him uh, dealing meth. And so I decided. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, those cats. You got to watch out for them every so often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they they like to yeah. make an extra buck now and then. That's he's awesome. actually uh, he's he's interesting because he was. Um, we, we did a. a I, I work on a. Um, for those who don't know, I work on a soap opera. Um, oh, you said that. Uh, and a, we did a, a pet adoption storyline, a storyline where where a character adopts uh, a stray cat. And the show had to get like an actor cat to play the role. And so they went to the uh, South, Los An South Los Angeles Animal Shelter, which is a really, really lovely place. And they found him and they, you know, we used him on the show. And then the show came to me and they were like, hey, listen, uh, you know, we, either this cat is going back in a cage when we're done with him or 
you can adopt him. You know, and I was like, fuck you. That's, that's not <laughs> fair. That, right? <laughs> First of all, that's a guilt trip, but that's a good guilt trip. Yeah. That's a good no, guilt it, trip, it wasn't. I'm, I'm making my show look really bad. No, they were, they were very cool about it and they handled everything awesome. like, super ethically. But, um, but, uh, yeah, so I and I was like, no, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't have enough because I had had I had two cats at the time already, um, and uh, and then I I met him on the day and I was like super protective of him and like really finicky and I was like, don't hold him like that. He doesn't like that. And, the, and everybody was like, okay, it's your. Good thing. Good thing it wasn't like an oh episode with a zoo and it was a white tiger they were talking you into uh, adopting or something. <laughs> hey, here's a white tiger. You want to take it home with you? That is adorable. Those things uh, are very and we are we are oh, towards the end gonna. Uh, I am gonna. Uh, I have some questions about the um, the the uh, show that you work on now and how you kind of got into that and uh, some things to do with that. But um, Shannon, do you want to go ahead and I know you had some um, morality questions. Yeah, I do. So, uh, something that I like to a nice to meet Scott. Hi, <laughs> I'm Shannon. Nice to meet you. Uh, nice to meet you. So I I one of the things that I grapple with the most that I find the most difficult cult to kind of articulate when I'm in these sort of discussions is the conceptualization of morality. And I, I really feel like you do a good job of arguing uh, for it. So I was hoping that I might be able to see if you can explain as succinctly as possible. I know there's only so much time uh, what your position is, and I might be able to ask some questions in order to help me kind of suss uh, Sure. So for the um, record, wow, I thanks. consider myself kind of a subjectivist and it's and I exist in this realm as well. And I carry on uh, conversations with theists of, of all ilks on a relatively consistent basis. I, I'm not really a debater. I'm more of a conversationalist and it comes up quite frequently. And I think I do it an OK job of articulating it, but I could just use a few more arrows in my quiver. So I was hoping I might be able to engage a bit in that conversation with you. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. You, you may not, I mean, you, uh, you sound like you're kind of familiar with, with my views a little bit already, but you may not buy wholesale, you know, my view on more, especially if you consider yourself a subjectivist. I think, okay. So I think there's, um, I think there's two ways that we can talk about morality or at least think about it. And, and I call them okay. like top down versus bottom up. Um, mm -hmm. top down is you, ha you, you already have this kind of intuitional concept of morality. We have this concept in our heads of right and wrong. We all kind of vaguely know what each other's talking about when we use these words, even though once you pop the hood and look underneath, it gets a little tricky and there's some sticky stuff in there. But, mm -hmm. but we all kind of have, we have, we all agree that there's this concept at least now, what do we do with it? And so you work from the top down and you go, okay, what's the best theory that that accounts for our intuitions and and the world and science and facts about the universe that makes the most sense of this concept that we already have okay fine the other way is what i get for lack of a better term i call a bottom-up approach which is to say i i don't care so much about words like right and wrong that that's not real estate that i'm like dying to stick a flag in and keep there you know you can have the word ought you can have the word right wrong none of that shit matters to me what matters to me is in my case maximizing uh you know the flourishing and happiness and well-being of conscious creatures and minimizing the unnecessary suffering of of conscious creatures and um and so I, I like to make that distinction because when you get into conversations with, you know, somebody who's a deontologist or, or you know, uh, 
somebody like William Lane Craig, for example, that you get you get to this place where it's where they say things like, well, that's not real morality. That's not we you're just that's your subjective definition of what morality is. But then I like to say, well, that that's okay, but we're both offering a subjective definition. I mean, we can assign any meaning we want to any string of consonants and vowels. That's not really the question we're talking about. So, okay, that said, um, I believe, I, one of these days I, I have a fantasy of, of having a moral philosopher interview me and telling me what the label is that applies to me because I actually don't know. Okay. The, the, thing that, the thing that seems to differentiate me from a lot of folks is that I make a distinction between moral facts and moral obligations. Um, I think moral facts are real. Um, I think there they there are objectively true moral facts. Um, I think it is okay. objectively true. So it just depends on what you mean by That's moral, right? So right. yeah, okay. So I agree. so I when agree I say <laughs> Um, when I say something is right or wrong, I mean something very specific by that. When I say that rape is wrong, what I'm actually saying about rape is that it causes unnecessary suffering to conscious beings. Um, okay. That's objective. That's not, that is not a claim that is contingent on my opinion or my thoughts. If my brain stops working, that fact doesn't, isn't less true. It is, it, it's a, it's a, an objective fact about subjective uh, mental states. And so to rape someone is objectively to cause them suffering, right? Um, so how do you counter it when you get to that? That's where it starts to become mucky for me because I understand, you know, if you want to win a race, you ought to run fast. I got that one from Steve, actually. Right. I, under, I understand getting there. That's, that's, you're, that's you're a hypothetical. But, but hang on, that, that's right. not a categorical. That's hypothetical imperative. So, I, but yeah. So, but how do you get to, you know, how do you get to an, an, a goal, a necessary goal is that you want to win that race, for example. So if, how do you get to the right. point where you justify that a necessary goal is to prevent harm and cause flourishing? How do you justify that subject? That's where, that's where I get clouded into subjectivity yeah. because essentially the best that I can say is I personally believe that that is the best goal and by a consensus most other people almost invariably will agree with that however that's where it starts to become mucky because i really don't have any further justification i can't drill down at any and that's what i think that's where it starts to become cloudy for me so like, i mean i get your perspective but i'm looking for more justification than that so that i can help solidify and better understand why that makes it objective yeah. Okay. So, so that right there is, is why I, um, and, and I'm doing this because I want my worldview to be more defensible. I mean, that's ultimately the goal for all of this shit, but I, I, that's why I make a distinction um, between moral facts and moral obligations. And when people, most of the people, when they talk about moral obligations, unlike what Steve just said, you know, which is like a conditional obligation, like, yes, you ought to eat you know, strawberries, if you want to be healthy, you ought not drink battery acid if you, if you don't want to die. These are, of course, conditional <laughs> obligations 
upon a desired outcome, right? But then if mm-hmm. you say, yeah, 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 sure, we ought to treat people this way or that way in order to have a happy, healthy, flourishing society, somebody like William Lane Craig is going to come in and they're going to say, ah, but that's conditional upon a desired outcome. I'm looking for a moral obligation where there is no condition. You just ought to do X, period, end of story, and that's it. Yeah. Well, I think that's yeah. bullshit. I don't, I don't think such a thing is even coherent, let alone existent. Um, I, I don't think you can derive so-called moral obligations from Christianity any more than you can from naturalism. I think it is an, it, it, it is an inherently incoherent concept, but, but we don't actually need it. Uh, in the same way that we don't need medical obligations in order to have medicine. Um, you know, it, it, it is, it's objectively true that there are things that are unhealthy. It's objectively true that it's unhealthy to drink battery acid. That, that we don't need there to be, and this is just based on facts about our biology, facts about our psychology, and also facts about, objective facts about what we subjectively want. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I, so I think you can still talk about morality you can say that there are moral facts. To say that something is a moral fact is to say, for me, that it's a fact about what uh, contributes to a happy, healthy, prospering society. Um, and, and the idea that you need this unconditional outside-in, you know, capital O obligation to which we are binded, it just it, it doesn't make any sense to me, and I don't think you can even reconcile that. So I, So... I think we're all on even ground when it comes to that. The question is who who can come up with the best um, sort of, you know, theory of moral facts, because for me, moral obligations are out the window. That's just not even worth talking about because it doesn't make any sense. So if I'm in your case and somebody says, well, yeah, okay, but how do you, how do you, how, how can you objectively say that some that a psychopath ought not murder a girl if murdering her makes him happy and healthy and and, that, and that's just what he wants to do well okay a psychopath is a psychopath i mean that that is that diagnosis exists because it's the exception to the rule it's not normal psychological behavior and right. who's a psychopath Who's saying? He's pointing at Kyle. You're and that's fair. No, it's fair though. It's okay. fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm ninety. I'm ninety with him so far. There's ten percent I am going to disagree with him on when he's finished. Finished. And by the way, for somebody who says I haven't been in the game for a while, by God, he's like still knows his shit better than ninety nine percent of people we deal with. So this is pretty impressive. I, um, I just disagree with him on more obligations. I have. I see oh, okay. yeah. questions too, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, jump in. I, t- I, t- I take over conversations. You don't know me, but I do that. So <laughs> this is her channel now. We don't even know what the hell we're here for. It doesn't really matter. We just show up to look pretty. That's, that's it. Q, um, Q and nonstick stands for. Uh, Shannon's hair is better than mine today. I will admit that she did. She yeah. So I'm going to give you that today, Shannon. I brushed you it. I brushed it. Uh, so it sounds to me as though you're making morality tantamount to uh, flourishing and prevention of harm. So it's almost as though the the term morality would be interchangeable with those conceptualizations in order for your argument to be the case. So the definition of morality is is where you're deriving that argument from, or for that or to have any efficacy. The definition of morality would have to be betterment for society 
reduction of harm and flourishing. Yeah. So yeah, you could essentially say that morality is that then. And when you say that morality is that, then everything else starts to fall into place. So it's the conflation in terms of when you hear more people argument. She didn't hear, you're choppy. You might want to refresh. Yeah, you're, chop, yeah. you're chopping up, so it's really yeah, difficult. I'm so, so sorry. You're all yeah. refreshed. Oh, I'm sure Steve has things to say. Come back. No, uh, I'm you're definitely sure chopping up. Um, well, she's she's arguing I, real quick, so you, you do you do hear her properly. She's arguing that once yeah. you make the once you say that, um, like if you want to promote Unmoy, you want to promote human flourishing, then the, she's equating morality to be that, and I'm, I'm not quite right. sure that that's really the no, case. No, no, no. Right? I'm not. I don't, I'm not yeah. equating them. The, I wasn't okay. I wasn't equating them myself. I'm just trying to better understand his position. So can you hear me yeah. a little bit better first before I start? Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and, and so, I didn't understand everything you just said. So if you want me to respond to that, I will. But if you have more, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was, I got a little distracted for a second because the computer is garbage. So I apologize for that. So it seems to me that in order for that argument to have efficacy, I think what I was saying was that morality had to be tantamount to those things. Like they would almost have to be interchangeable and morality itself as a word really doesn't even need isn't even necessary in the argument because those are your goals and that's what makes the actions objective is because those are the goals you're trying to achieve and morality is just a label that you give to those goals am i misunderstanding or is that relatively no, fair well, you're, no you're that's very fair you're understanding me perfectly that that's that's the difference to me between the bottom up and the top down approach so the, you're always going to have a definition game all moral conversations are going to start with a battle over definitions that's why we have so for me morality is and yes definitions are are arbitrary they have to be arbitrary it's just sounds paired with meaning um it, uh, my sorry I said just phonemes and morphemes, sort of a weird person They're just signifiers yeah, just, that, yeah, that's all they are. They don't have intrinsic meaning. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, we, we attribute meaning to, to the words we mean, but I don't right, think words trend. mean anything the meanings we intend for them, um, which is a point of view that people can and have disagreed with, but for, let's put that aside for now. Um, yeah, my definition of morality as being synonymous with the, the project of maximizing happiness and health and well-being is no less arbitrary than, say, William Lane Craig's definition of morality, of morality, which is synonymous with that which God wants or that that which uh, coheres with God's nature. You know, so the the question is just so if if I'm having a debate with somebody who has a completely different view of morality, when they use words like right and wrong, moral, immoral, they mean something completely different to me. That's when you just have to have the conversation about okay, so which which of our definitions is better suited to our actual intuitions about this? And so I would say that mine is. I would say that even even like the, so the idea of like heaven and hell for example, that actually reduces to conscious suffering of conscious beings. That actually reduces to my idea of morality. Um, and, and, and then we can play around with that. We can say, okay, so if God, if morality really is by definition that which reflects God's nature or character, then, then suddenly, you know, morality is based on the what is good is based on what God happens to be instead of God being good based on some external standard. And so that means that if God happened to have a nature of 
hate and lust and war and punishment, you know, and all, the, all these like terrible dishonesty, all these things we can think of, well, then those would by definition be moral. Now that messes with our intuitions a little bit. Now that's a bullet that a Christian might be willing to bite. They have ways of not biting that bullet, which we can talk about. They say that God's nature is necessary and I have a response to that. But, but that's a bullet that I don't have to bite. Um, I, there, there's no, um, there's no scenario where something like rape, given the facts about our existence can be made to be moral by definition. Um, and so that's a liability that somebody like William Lane Craig has that I don't, or so I would argue. Does that make, did that answer? Yeah. That answers some of my questions. Yeah. I, I, thank you. I, I appreciate your time in having this conversation with me because it's something that I yeah. grapple. It's actually one of the, it's the, it's essentially the linchpin in my deconversion. I was reading the Bible and I realized that I was making moral assessments that were contra to what I was reading. And that it, it kind of clicked with me that, if I'm able to make moral assessments and I'm having some dissonance and grappling with what I'm reading and trying to find justification for what I'm reading, then I'm clearly not imbued with morality based on this book that I'm reading. My morality is, is something that exists separately and that kind of started a cascade for me. So, that, which is one of the reasons that I find this conversation so interesting because the realization that I had that internalized morality that was, you know, separate led me yeah. to, you know, along along quite a long path, but I'm still not able to fully uh, articulate it because it's a difficult thing to conceptualize, and then even more difficult to be able to articulate that conceptualization. So, the next question that I have yeah. is, well, I I'm not even certain that this is a question. This is more of a statement, and I wanted to kind of see how you feel. I have a difficult time understanding the theist conception of morality even more so because. It, to my mind, it seems as though they have an idea that morality was either dawned upon us, there seem to be two schools, that it was kind of zapped into our heads, essentially, or that it exists external of us and is something that we're trying to achieve. And I have trouble with the first because it would mean that it would have to be unilateral, that that conceptualization wouldn't be up for debate because it was zapped into all of our heads. So it would, it would have to be the same in all of us and it wouldn't be absent in anybody. And if it if exists external to us and it's something that we're attempting to cheat, to achieve, that almost seems a little bit ridiculous because how do you attain it? There's absolutely nothing about it that you would, that would be revealed to you in a fashion that would allow you to, uh, to know what it was like you would have nothing to go by i hear very furious typing <laughs> and check really interested in what we're saying <laughs> so, I, I was wondering if from your perspective where you've engaged in more of these conversations than than i do you do you see it in sort of the same fashion or is there something that i'm i'm missing perhaps so that i can make sure that when i'm going into these conversations with people i'm representing them fairly and have a good understanding yeah that's that's always tough because no two theists no or, deontologists <laughs> or you know, no, no two people have exactly the same thing in their head um i think right. if i if i put my like christian pastor hat on or something i i, I think they would say that it's probably both i mean there, there's so there's there's um uh moral facts or or uh, moral values 
I think, is distinct mm -hmm. from moral duties. And so moral values are out there in the ether. It's just what is right and what is wrong. And it is just a fact about you know, what, what's good and what's not. And of course, that fact is tethered to facts about God and God's nature and God's character. And that's one thing. That's about what makes something right or wrong and the ontology of right and wrong. And then there's the communication of those values to us in the form of duties. And that's, you need, that they would argue, I assume, you need revelation for. And so it's something like the Bible, or some people, you know, broaden the definition of revelation to not just scripture, but, you know, a revelation can be, you know, a factory installed conscience in all of us that tells us what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. But that's, so, you know, duties are different from values. Du duties are the, like the obligations that I was talking about earlier that I kind of think are bullshit. Um, mm -hmm. And values are just the facts about what's right and wrong. The duties we get from revelation, the facts and the, uh, the values are just ontologically what they are. But then how do you account for disparities? Like how would you account for people who have sociopathic tendencies, for example, you would have to yeah. omit them from the equation. No. I, think, I, I think the short answer to that is sin. I think most Christians oh, are apostles. Right, fallen world. Is that what it is? Yeah. Is that what it is? Oh, I, I mean, I really think that's what it is. Shane, yeah. let, me, let me ask you something real quick about, you know, okay. If I say something along the lines of stealing is wrong, and I say, hey, look, I, I've stolen a piece, of, I've stolen some bread from you. Okay, It is at that point an objective fact that you... <laughs> that I'm an asshole. It is an objective fact. And it's also objective fact that you're more likely to go hungry. You're down. You've been harmed. You've been injured. There's been grievous against you. It's an objective fact that you're going to go without food if you have you know, a, 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 a loaf of bread and I steal it from you. That is an objective fact of the matter. It is morally impermissible for me based upon some kind of normative ethics. I, would, I, would, you know, I, I tend to virtue ethics. But I have reasons why certain things are moral or immoral, right? Because I will judge that by which my standards from the normativity would be. But it's still an objective fact. You're going without food. <laughs> you're you're going to starve because I, I took you know the, the piece of bread for you. So there is objective facts to be me, me to be had here. Um, I don't think morality is all subjective or all uh, uh, objective. There, are, first of all, these words are just conflated to no end in these discourses. But I think there it could be both, right? And it isn't all or nothing. It isn't black and white. Um, as somebody like myself who tends to like moral error theory, which is moral nihilism, I don't even think that more propositions are true. I think they're all false, but that's just because of, of, of it's called an instantiation error. But you're, you're, when, when I see atheists so diehard, oh, more subjective is more subjective is, and then somebody like capturing Christianity comes out with this video today uh, trying to argue against moral subjectivism, which he did a really bad job on. By the way, I was not impressed. Oh, uh, Skyler was not impressed. You, you, Paul, you need to watch it. Oh, you watched it? Okay. Oh, you didn't watch it? I have not. I've oh, okay. no, 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 yeah. Um, I was yeah. working at my job, like a loser. Oh, you got one of those? <laughs> oh, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but there seems to be a lot of argument about the meta-ethical approach. When I got to tell you, I don't really care so much about persons' uh, meta-ethical theories if they think a proposition is truth apt, or true or false. Both the moral subjectivists and objectivists both think moral facts exist. So you, you say you're moral subjectivist. The subjectivists will say the moral facts exist, but they're contingent upon individual biases and not interdependent uh, or intersubjective uh, agreement. But what I care about is what are you going to do in this situation? I give you the situation. What are you going to do? What is you, What do you think is morally permissible? And what do you think is morally impermissible? And what I find on YouTube is I don't see a lot of people 
theist or atheist arguing those things, right? I want to know what you're going to do to make yourself an ethical person, not you specifically, because you are an ethical person. But in general, why are they so fascinated by whether whether propositions are 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 truth apt if you're cognitivist, non-cognitivist, or if they're subjective or objective? Why don't we start discussing what it means to be an ethical person? I think that's the conversation that needs to be had. I'm not hearing that much on YouTube a lot. Well, a little more there's a difference today. between ethics and meta-ethics. I mean, ethics is the, the, the question of, well, what should we do in this situation? Right, I mean, normative what, what ethics, right. You know, meta-ethics. I'm more interested in the normative. Norm yeah, well, you got my answer. I, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you agree with that? Do you think the normative, I mean, the, really what we want to know is your normative ethical theories. We want to know what you appeal to, deontological, consequentialism, virtue ethics. That's what, what, what makes something right or wrong in somebody's opinion? Those are the fascinating discussions. Not do you yeah. think that morals objective or subjective, because it doesn't get people where they want to go. It really doesn't. I, I tend to think morals can be objective. Oh. I'm fine with moral realism. I think it's a thing. I think obviously Scott does as well. Most philosophers do tend to moral realism from what I, I, I find. Uh, but well, that doesn't mean anything. It just—it's a meta-ethical approach. That's all. But I think, Steve, I think any one of those deontology, virtue ethics, consequentialism—I'm definitely a consequentialist, uh, if anything. Um, the, okay. All of those are treat morality as as uh, something objective, as, as that there are moral facts. I—I I, I think. I mean, maybe maybe there's somebody out there who considers themselves uh, a relativist or a subjectivist who. Who would also consider themselves a consequentialist. I don't quite know how that would work, but I mean, once you start talking about different moral theories, you're already you're you're past the page of is it objective or subjective or relativistic or not? Or I mean, you're you're kind of, you've left that behind, and now you're like, okay, morality is a real thing. There are facts worth talking about. What what's the best theory behind those facts? Um, so I don't know. Right. No, I, I would I would tend to agree with that as well. Um, but there is, so the thing about moral relativism, it, it's actually can apply to normative ethical theories or meta-ethical theories and normative. The, 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 these words have been used so many different ways by so many different philosophers and so many different papers that you really got to go, okay, which, which version are you using uh, for this? And so it, that's one of the reasons why, you know, you say, well, how, how would I get consequentialism and moral relativism? It depends if you're, in, if you're talking normatively or meta-ethically. And, and so it's sure. just a bunch of just hoopla at that point. I mean, I, I get still get confused on this stuff. I read about this stuff all the time. And even I go, Okay, what are we talking about here? Absolutism, uh, universalism. Uh, yeah. it's, it really, to me, boils down to, hey, are you a good person? What, do, you, do you think it's ethical to steal from your employer if nobody else is watching? Those are the questions I, I, I think are the gauge of a person, right? It has nothing to do with But to be ethics. clear, you, know, you could still have, um, you could still have like an antisocial personality disorder. You know, you could, you could still have somebody who's a terrible, terrible person whose meta-ethical worldview is mwah. You know, I mean, you, you, you can, you, they don't, there's, you know, you can be a great, great moral philosopher without being a good person. And, and we shouldn't confuse <laughs> those two, those two different That's conversations. True. And vice versa, you can be a, a really virtuous, upstanding person with an absolute shit, you know, moral philosophy, meta-ethical philosophy too. <laughs> <laughs> We, we know, uh, trust us, door. we know, I got to tell you, Scott, we know a lot of people that I would consider to be, in my opinion, um, grossly unethical. I mean, to the point where I don't even think that they know what 
efficacy even means. I don't think they even have a clue what it would be to be an honest person. They do exist. Now, I don't know if that's because they're sociopaths. I don't know if they have no conscience. I don't know if that's their to upbringing. Be to be fair, they Speaking would probably which, say the no, same thing about us. Yeah, you're right. no, that's the funniest thing. You're right. No, you're absolutely right on that, Kyle. They do project that, and Maybe they do think that, that we're the ones. And that's merely because – yeah, but here's the difference. They merely think that because – we are all non-believers, even though I'm not an atheist. We are. I'm still a non-believer. All of us are non-believers. We have that in common, right? So we don't have this um, this narrative that oh, we have to have a deity to be an ethical person because I think that's a very flawed approach. Because of what happens to that person when you ask them this question, and I and I do all the time is if your God ceased to be, would you still be an ethical person? And of course, you know the argument they're going to run is oh, that can't happen. God's a metaphysical necessity, therefore he cannot cease to be. But they won't ever entertain a hypothetical for some reason. There was, there was a moment. Um, there was a, uh, I believe it was, I think it was a debate between. Uh, this is tangentially related to what you just said, but it reminded me of it, and I always think this is a cool thing. But um, I think there was a debate between Craig and Shelly Kagan, and uh, there was a moment where it, it, this never got addressed. It was just something he said in passing, and there was never a chance to respond to it or anything from the other side. But but uh, William Lane Craig said something like, you know, the difference is, you know, on my worldview, you know, there's actually, you know, in Christianity, there's an incentive for altruism. And I don't mean, you know, like fake altruism. I mean, like pure, selfless altruism. Christianity gives you an incentive to be totally altruistic, to do something good just for the sake of it being good, even if there's absolutely no nothing in it for you. And I thought, that's got to be one of the most unself-aware, ironic claims. That's so, so I, I and it will, and, and, and he's, but that's he amazing. cited heaven. He said, he said, well, yeah, heaven, you know, because we have this idea of an afterlife. And I went, what? <laughs> and so, a question that I would love, and I have asked several Christian apologists this question, and the answer is never satisfactory, but the question is, okay, um, if you could trade, if you could go to hell so that I could get into heaven, would you do it? Ooh. And they never say yes. Ooh. So, you know. Ooh, that is, that's a good, it also goes along with uh, yeah, like that's uh, actually Christian really religions. I was going to say that's um, damning because that's what Jesus ostensibly did. Exactly. Um, with Christopher, Christopher Hitchens' point. line where he says, um, is, there, is there something that you can do um, in religion that you can't do as an atheist? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Free from the, uh, you know, the, the – he always uh, used the example of the homeless, feeding the homeless. Um, you know, as an atheist, you can just feed the homeless. That's it. It's the good act that you can do. You just feed the homeless. And he said, with Christianity, that comes along with this um, this screening or this uh, sit down and watch this video or listen to this um, sermon. Almost like you have to earn uh, that meal that you're eating. And uh, I think that's uh, altruistic. That's yeah, hilarious. Well, they, they, they use it you know, to, to promote, like, for example, you want to have the sandwich, you got to listen to the sermon stuff, which is obviously clearly not altruistic. I don't think altruism exists. I don't think true altruism is actually a thing. I don't think it's even possible. 
um, we always have some kind of self-serving interest, uh, whether we recognize it or not. So the true, the true altruism is just—it's just not a thing. But I love your question oh. there, Scott. That I mean, I don't think you—I don't think you actually. I mean, I wish I would have thought of this first. I'm actually a little pissed uh, because it's—that yeah. is really a good question. Um, I'm pondering this in my head. You can actually push it further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's is that original? That's really good, actually. As far as I know, I mean, I'm sure some other people have said that, but as far as I know, I didn't get that from anywhere. But, but you can push it further too. You can say, okay, you wouldn't go to hell so that I could go to heaven. What would you go to hell for three atheists to go to heaven? Still, consequentially. Now, 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 you know what you're doing. You're literally doing the trolley problem right now. Somebody mentioned um, that, you know, that the sort of parallel between that question and Jesus's purported sacrifice. The difference is Jesus went to, if we're, we're he died for three days, it, at, at worst, he went to hell for three days and then got to rule the universe for eternity. Ask me if I would do that. Yes, I would do that. Any <laughs> rational person would suffer wow. for three days in order to rule the universe and have an eternity of bliss. Any, I mean, it, it, as, it as long as your cognitive functions are working, you would choose that. So it's not really the sacrifice it's made out to be. Look, 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 I'm, 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 I'm going I'm, I'm to play devil's advocate here just for a second. Um, isn't some of the part of the Christian narrative, though, that Jesus, uh, either on the cross or the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, took upon all the sins, and that was what was considered to be the, the, the big thing, that he, he took on all the sins of everybody, and it was just I mean, the most excruciating pain you can imagine kind of thing. Now, again, like you said, right. it wasn't an eternal pain. It wasn't you know being in hell forever, which, by the way, I even as a non-believer, I, I find the whole thing about hell being all fire to be absolutely mind-bogglingly bullshit um and it, it, even if you go through the history you can see how where that narrative started to come to be right i mean so it's more more of an argument in my back believe like us or you're going to hell and i don't buy into that but would you agree though um there's a little bit more to it if you if you take the narrative that jesus took the, the, the all the sins in the world um mm -hmm. and therefore that 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 that's what he's being quote, rewarded for even though he was already god to begin with but well, that's the confusing part I actually think that strengthens my point. So not only, so three days of suffering, right? Three days of the most excruciating suffering you can imagine. Let's, let's stipulate that. Um, followed by an eternity of bliss and ruling the universe. And it's not even that. That's not the only part of the transaction. The other part of the transaction is that you know you're saving billions and billions of souls. So yet taking on the sins of the world, that seems really, really abstract to me. I don't know how that translates to more suffering. To me, that would translate to less suffering. If I know that I am paying the price for billions and billions of people so that they get to live peacefully and blissfully forever, that makes it even more worth it. That incentivizes it even more. So I'm not just doing it for myself. If I were a good person, then I, like you just said, you said there's no such thing as true altruism, right? Well, that, that depends on whether you consider it selfish to feel good about having done the right thing. If that's selfish, then Jesus' sacrifice was selfish. You just wrecked religion. Like, <laughs> I ruined it. In the past four minutes, I, you just wrecked. I I really would like SJ's um, response to some of this stuff. Maybe so, so maybe tomorrow night she says you might have. Um, I don't know if I don't know if Scott's familiar. With oh SJ come on, Johnson. SJ! 
But uh, he says maybe tomorrow night. But uh, I would love SJ to respond to this. This is actually really good stuff. Actually, we don't really talk a lot about um, some of the actual things, problems about Christianity itself. So this is rare. Um, But I'm I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, we 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 have all kinds. We talk about flat Earth a lot. That's what we do. We're just a flat Earth nowadays. See that where I would get I would get the shit kicked out of me. I really would. If I tried doing, I would go into that conversation thinking I've got all this evidence. I've got, and then they would throw something at me that I've never even fucking heard of before, and I would go, "What? Hold on, let me." Kyle, 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 tell tell, Kyle, Kyle, tell him, tell him some of this stuff. Go ahead, please. Uh, how, here's here's probably what you would encounter. Um, okay, this is this is. I'm gonna give you two examples, two real examples of of things that people have said on this show that they genuinely believe. Number one, um, they can disprove gravity. It's called uh, dropity, and it's because things are heavier than the air and they fall. And the reason or the way that they can disprove gravity is because trees grow up. Okay, that's wow. number one. That's yeah, cool. Okay. Which is true. It, 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 that's a fact. You're not ready. Well, not all trees. You're not ready. Most, most. Number two. <laughs> You're not ready for this, Scott. Yeah. Uh, this one is going to this – one, this one I'm still getting over. This guy named Edgewise. Everybody in the chat will know who, remember Edgewise is. Oh. Edgewise, uh, number one, he's a flat earther, but he used the Google Earth, which is a globe, to find a – I just find a sweet irony in that – to find a, a dragon – a fossilized dragon in the continent of Africa. He's scouring this, this continent of Africa, and he finds this fossilized dragon. Now, this dragon is a third of the size of the continent of Africa. And I asked him, I said, okay, so you have this planet. This dragon is a third of the size of this continent. He's obviously taking up a big portion. Um, what did he do? Where did he go? What did he eat? Um, and his purpose was that he was sent by God down here <laughs> because the continents were stacked on top of each other like a goddamn cheeseburger. And it took this dragon to separate the continents and place them where they are. And he, sadly enough, just rolled over and, and died in Africa. But uh, yes, these are the arguments that I have absolute faith in you that you would be able to somehow refute yeah yeah okay but the, the, i mean I, forgive me but it's it sounds like that that's like the lowest hanging fruit in the flat earth community i mean i i have Not by much. I, know that, <laughs> I know that i've encountered in passing videos or somebody saying something that sounds really scientific that's just based on clearly based on some misrepresentation of theories of science or whatever. And it's it actually does set like that sounds ridiculous, but I've heard flat earthers argue in a way that sounds legitimate and, and you would actually have to Google the terms that they're using, or should I say abusing in order to dissect, you know, what, what it is they're talking about. So I, I know that, Listen, I, I know this because I made the mis- this mistake. The biggest mistake you can make is going into a conversation like that thinking all the evidence is on your side, which it may be, but you you still don't know what they're going to throw at you until you've had the conversation a hundred times and you know the different yeah. permutations Good point. That, that it can take. So um, I wouldn't, I would never be, I, I, and this is just from me having experienced beat down after beat down, but I wouldn't be cocky enough to think that I could take on a sophisticated flat earther just because of the fact that I'm a sane, normal, high school educated, you know, human being and and the evidence is on my side. 
I don't, I don't if you think can that's... find things, if you can find a sophisticated flatter, please send them our way. We've been looking for one for about a year and a half now. No, no, I, I'm, just know, I'm glad you're, you're self aware of that. I think that's admirable because I have seen people get ripped apart by flat earthers that went in with the, you know, because obviously the, the, the evidence and the science is on Ooh. the rounder side. But if you don't, uh, well, for example, G Man went in and got ripped apart by flat earthers. Oh. Because oh, he didn't. He, oh, now I'm not trying to compare Scott to Flat Earth, but I'm saying that I that people even even just well yeah, but G Man we we all agree is an Alexa, idiot. Yes, but uh, Alexa, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't say he. I can't say he's an idiot because that'd be insulting. So I can say that he says some idiotic things. Is that better, Shannon? Yeah, it's, I think the issue is that you need to be able to have enough knowledge to i to quickly identify where they're lying or misrepresenting and immediately debunk it. And a lot of them yeah. speak about things like light refraction. I couldn't, I, I know what they're saying is probably horse shit, but I'm not knowledgeable enough in that field that I would be able to say, this is my life. But the best thing I could say, I know the earth is round, you guys are lying, but I could demonstrate on my feet why talking about refraction, for, uh, for example. Shannon. Uh, Shannon, let me. Uh, while we're talking about the uh, the arguments against religion and the the really good ones, um, you and Paul actually um, in a in a conversation with SJ uh, mm -hmm. had one of the best arguments that I've heard for uh, or against religion, and that is um, the argument about uh, Paul and Paul's mother. If Paul's mother goes to um, yeah, if heaven, religion is true. It, yeah, can you can you uh, tell everyone that one? Because I thought this was brilliant as well. And Scott, you can okay. tell us what you think. So Paul, Paul, Paul's my boyfriend's name. He has a channel called Paulagia. For anybody who's not familiar, it's brilliant. He's wonderful. Okay. Uh, we had we had a conversation, and uh, part of the conversation was him recounting the fact that he is now an atheist, but his mother is still a very, very, very devout believer, very God fearing woman. And if everything that she believes is true. And she loves him very much and they have a fantastic relationship when they both pass away she's going to heaven and he's going to hell and she knows, knows that he's going to be in hell so my question was essentially what about when she goes to heaven how can she conceivably be happy knowing that her son is burning forever in hell she's either going to be miserable in heaven or something about the essence of he is as a person is going to have to fundamentally change. And what does that mean for free will? If God makes you happy about your child burning in hell, just be happy you're no longer you. So there goes mm -hmm. your free will argument. And mm -hmm. what would you want to go to heaven if that means that you're no longer you? Like, there's no way I could reconcile it. I mean, I have a son. I have an eight-year-old. I, I lose my mind when he stubs his toe because I hate to see him in pain. I couldn't imagine him suffering for eternity while I was drinking my ties on the beach being happy, knowing that that mm -hmm. was taking place. And nobody's been able to give me a good, or Paul, a good answer for that because there isn't one is, is why. Well, there is a there is a good answer. Hell, hell, there is a good answer. That version of hell is bullshit. Well, no, a good answer yeah. if you. That's in not hell. an answer, Steve. That's just that's just eliminating hell from the equation. That's becoming <laughs> that's becoming. No, let's talk about hell. Um, that's so funny. I I did a video on exactly this. It was called My Dear Christian, and I 
Yeah, it's it's old. It's an old one. And I was being really stupid and theatrical. I was like playing with a lighter because I thought it was cool while I was. But my point was basically to um, to to create a trilemma. And I said, there's there's three possibilities. I, see if I can get this right. It's been 12 years since I made this video, but it was something like there's three possibilities. Either um, you know, I go to heaven knowing that people I love, people who are loving, ethical, kind, caring human beings, people, people in my life, people I care about. Um, I, go, I go to heaven knowing that these people are suffering eternally and with no reward at the end. There's no upside to it. You know, I, I go to heaven knowing this. If, if, I'm, if, I, if I'm me still, which is basically what you said, then it's no heaven at all. In fact, it's its own kind of hell as any parent would, would realize. If I, if I have to be fundamentally changed, my psychology or my, the, my, my mental states have to actually be changed in order for me to be okay with someone I love, someone who you know, I cared for suffering eternally, so then not it's in heaven. in heaven. And the third option is that if, I, I, if my natural earthly character is such that I have no problem with somebody being tortured eternally while I'm, like you said, sipping my ties, then he the idea of heaven is a sham because it, the, all the evil people are in heaven or something like that. But um, yeah, there, di there didn't seem to be any, uh, there didn't seem to be any, uh, even in comments, I don't remember anybody giving a satisfying answer to that. Most people either in the, when, when I am in these conversations, most people either eliminate hell, which is actually what Paul, Paul's mother and I, that, that's how she reconciled herself with that so that she could just live a life and be happy now because the thought wrecked her so much. So, so she's, a, she's just oh, an, so that actually impacted her a, enough that she's an annihilationist now? She, yes, yes. And she's a devout Mennonite, but it, in fact, it impacted her enough just the thought of that because she's that devout that she became an annihilationist for that reason. Mm -hmm. Or people say, well, my child would never, my child would never. Or they say, the really sensible say, if God decides that they, they're in hell, when I get there, God will imbue me with the knowledge know that they deserve it. Shannon, you might want to refresh yeah. uh, your chopping oh, again. Yeah, yeah, annihilationism actually makes more sense to me. Uh, Nephilim Free is annihilationist. I don't know if you know that. Well, even, but, if, uh, even if you eliminate hell as a as an option, you're still like a, as a family member, you're still actively going to be. Oh, no, no, no I'm, I'm good. I, I have okay. at least um, we should be uh, back probably on now. half an hour at least, okay, uh, maybe okay. forty five, an hour, cool. uh, seven. Yeah, I, I bet you have got an hour at least. Excellent. Okay, um, so we're back. We're we back, back, Dave. Yeah, it's streaming again. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, so we were just talking about uh, Shannon's uh, question about that you're not with your loved one, or there's going to be some mechanism by which you don't know, or you're you're not acknowledging, or you're forgetting that that happened, and then the question becomes: Is that really you? Is that fundamentally you? That uh. That, that is there, like, you know, praising and worshiping for eternity. Like, can you be unhappy in heaven? The most sophisticated argument that I've heard is that hell isn't a, a hell hell, like like the fire hell. Hell is just separation from God, whatever ubiquitous nonsense that is. So hell is just separation from God. If you are in heaven, you get to be with God. And if you aren't in heaven, you're just eternally separated from God. But that still means that 
somebody that you love that's been a part of you and a part of your life and somebody that you're attached to, you are separated from them for eternity. Do you, how do you stop caring about that? Mm-hmm. How do yeah, you, you also feel bad like, for them too, right? Split. I mean, you're, you're, you're like you said, you're not, you, I'm going to use the analogy of you're, you're on the beach sipping margaritas and you're knowing that uh, somebody else is not with you indulging in that, that they're not having the mm-hmm. same experience even with you. And so that would actually, in my opinion, make you feel, you know, sad for them in some way, right? I mean, you feel, you know, I wish my family was here yourself. enjoying these, these, these awesome Mai Tais with me. Um, and, and they're not. And you'd feel so, the You'd miss yeah. them yourself too. I mean, psychologically, you develop attachments to people. Like those social bonds are our lives, essentially. Our life is a, is the constitution of all of our our experiences, and our experiences almost invariably involve other people. So, if you spend your life, your eternity, separated from those other people, not knowing even if you don't know what happened to them, that's a loss. You are going to heaven mourning. Should you be mm. mourning in heaven? What is heaven if it's a place where you mourn? I um, I kind of, I, I think Christopher Hitchens took this this line, but I um, I can't I can't conceive of heaven as being anything but torture anyway. Um, even if even if everybody you knew were, were in heaven, even if you like you know controlled for all these issues that we're bringing up, I think experiencing anything forever with this exact setup for four or five hours to my channel as a test same settings yeah, and everything i don't know, I don't know it's, why it's, it dude it's 90 this. minutes in every time i don't know what it is uh scott don't follow me while we have a second okay all right all right yes yeah, i'll be right back right. dave I'll... close out all of the inputs that we that you're not using close out the uh the intro um videos anything that is not like bare bones um, close it out. Stop the animations on the We're back. Uh, um, screen. Um, and then Everything. let's see if let's see if that doesn't hold out. Shut her down. But it's yeah, circumstantial because, like I said, I've ran it with everything running before. Like I don't understand. But it, it doesn't. No. Anything that anything that's pulling uh, in, in possible resources. Um, yeah, resources. Just shut them down. Mm-hmm. Just pause everything. Yeah. Um, People know the uh, people know the Patreon thing and the, the hit and likes thing, and they see our, our beautiful faces over there to the right. It doesn't have to spin. Um, we're going bare bones. Um, <laughs> my, right. my computer is actually powering the Large Hadron Collider. Is that going to be a problem? That's uh, yeah. We have okay, actually people that will come in and argue yeah. that that is actually creating black holes that will swallow the Earth and actually releasing Satan from the depths of hell. You do realize that, right? Yeah. So. Right, don't joke about those things because people will believe you. Religion, you don't. They don't get to mix black holes and Satan. That not no. Can I take it back? Can I take it back a step because 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 Scott made me think there for a second, and when I think, you know what happens? It's it's a free fall. <laughs> but this can I can I can I take that argument and actually run into its natural course because I I don't think you ran it further enough. What would happen, because your argument was, if, if somebody's being altruistic, that they will give up their place in heaven for you, and you go to heaven and they go to hell, right? Now, if we ran that to its natural extension, if every good person, every good Christian, gave up their spot for an evil, demonic atheist, like or anti-theist like Shannon and Kyle, or non-believer like myself, then all the bad people are going to end up in heaven, and all the good people are going to end up in hell. This, is, this could be an actual natural consequence from this, could it not be? 
Well, that but that's the that's a the lot thing of about Christianity. Yeah. Christianity stipulates that there are no good people. We're all bad. The only difference mm -hmm. is people who accept forgiveness, or actually, the truth is, if they're being honest, know that there is even an offer of forgiveness able to be taken, uh, and the people mm -hmm. that don't. And but but there's no that the whole all of Christian theology is predicated on the idea that everyone is bad and everyone is not just bad but equally bad in the eyes of God. Okay, so okay. I, I can I can word it differently if that if that's your if that's your um, sticking point. I can say all the people that lived their whole lives dedicated to Christ now end up in hell, and all the people that did whatever the hell they wanted um, and you know didn't give a fuck one way or another, they all end up in heaven. I think that'd be a bad plan. For God, would it not? I don't think that had the intended consequences that he was looking for, would it not? But it's possible, is it not? I'm, I'm literally seeing this in my head, how this would not be a natural consequence from, from what you were saying earlier. If he's God, if, you if, can't derail theory. him from his intended... If, if he's God, yeah. then that's what God would have wanted anyway. There's no way you can change his plan. That would have had to have been his plan. If it happened, it was his plan. Plan all along for bad people to go to heaven, okay. So well, it sounds like, Steve, what you're articulating is a is a, a reply to the argument or a, a, a rebuttal to the argument saying, yeah, 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 but it's not really altruistic then, is it, if all I'm doing is causing a bunch of bad stuff to happen? So why it's would really I give not up altruistic, right. heaven so that, you, so that you can have a good place in heaven when you're not a good person, you know, or you're not worthy yeah. of being in heaven. There's no, that's not really altruism because I'm not doing a good thing. It's not, it's, it's also not altruism to give a million dollars to a psychopath. So, so that's, yeah. that's the, that's the, but, and I hear that, but the thought experiment really is, I mean, if I went, when I pose it to a Christian, I'm, I'm careful to control for that. And I'll say, if God came to you and said, listen, here's a guy, here's Scott over here. And Scott tries to live an ethical life. He just he just has the wrong set of beliefs. And you know, if he knew that I Scott is the kind of person that if he knew I existed, he would embrace me. And blah blah blah. blah, blah, blah. Uh, so if it's God that's posing the question, then you kind of eliminate the the um, the ethical issue with it, really. Or at least I, I try to control for that. Who's really the bad person? Like, it, since we're all talking about like our our favorite arguments and stuff, mine is the possibility that Satan wasn't the bad guy in the Garden of Eden. If we're going to take that story to be true, um, I like well, exactly. But but you have to think about it this way too. This is what I I think. If you have the the planet as it is now, we're just going to assume it's it's it was the same size back then. And you've only created two people, and you put those two people on a location on this planet. And you have a tree that if one of these people takes the fruit off of, is going to cause all of these years of, you know, torment and sin and, and just... Collider. I'm sorry. Everyone's I, I, life. <laughs> it's, it's what I'm plugging my PlayStation into. I can't help it. Dave, okay, Dave. That's fair. Dave, stop Why the stream. Stop the stream and start it back again. That's what I've been doing, Kyle. That's how I've misery and sin and all this. Why would you put the tree in the middle of the place where the two people that can partake of that tree and cause all this misery are? Why not just put it on the other side of the planet or not do it at all, knowing as God, you know everything and what's going to happen and that this is actually going to be a, a thing. And Scott was saying that he, there was another issue that could be raised with that as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 sort of stock answer to that is something like, well, that's the point. I mean, the point is to give them free will and then give them an opportunity to exercise it. If I if I don't give any kind of resistance, if I don't give them any kind of rules worth breaking, then what is what is the virtue in following my orders if every order I give just leads to more and more enjoyment, you know, so I have to give them something to test, you know, to, to, to balance out, you know, loyalty versus, versus pleasure. Okay, fine. I get all that. But the other problem is this is this tree is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So presumably by the reason we all have a conscience, basically the reason that we all have innate knowledge, theologically speaking of good and evil is because our ancestors ate from the fruit of this tree. Right. But prior to eating that fruit, how do you know that it's wrong to disobey God's orders? Because you don't have knowledge. It's it's a catch 22 situation. Yeah. Yeah, You don't don't have the knowledge to know that it's, it's wrong to eat the fruit. It doesn't even be so anything that you do that goes against God's word is would be in the Christian theology inherently evil, right? Anything you do that, that is opposed to God is is by necessity evil. Uh, but I, I, I like the soul building. What's that? Between mens rea actus rea, there's difference between mens rea. Is that what you're saying? Mens rea actus rea. There's yeah, yeah, because there's a difference between malicious intent and malicious action. You could do a malicious action with no intent and they didn't have any knowledge that it was evil. They couldn't conceivably have had- the Then they have they held accountable. If, you don't have, if they don't have men- had all these, by the way, like podcasts and stuff with people that were worse than this. So this, if you're if you're concerned at all that this is like annoying, it's it's not. And plus we get breathers in between to talk. So I, don't worry about like my time or anything. I know you guys have- Annoying to us. Too, but, this is $1,200 software. Uh, that, <laughs> this is work perfectly. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not yeah, if, if you're, this isn't a general. If, uh, okay, here's, uh, let's do this then. Um, since, uh, thank you for uh, working with us, Scott. They've completely yeah, stopped the, the, the stream and start a new, um, thing and I'll just piece them together. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, that's that's totally cool. That's that's what yeah. you would do with the the um breaks that we've already had, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then what we what I usually do is when I it, turn it into an actual podcast afterwards. When iTunes. it renders things, the weird thing is when, when we have these dips, the the weird thing is when we have these dips um uh, and it comes back, it it will render fine. Like it it will come out the final video will be fine. It'll just have these little holes where we kind of like it, it, we jump back. Um, stopping this is when I'll, I'll kind of combine them together. But the way YouTube works is very strange. If, if we do this kind of like in and out thing, like we have been doing, it'll render fine. Like when the videos stopped and we're, not, we're done streaming, it'll be a complete full video. It's very weird. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Cause it takes yeah, up some intake of YouTube and then it pieces it all together. If there's not a, a hard break, so the heartbreak then yeah. it starts a new video. All right, guys. Uh, guys, we're going to stop this stream and uh, and start a new one so that we can hopefully clear out what's wrong with the uh, this particular um, stream. So we're going to uh, stop this and then reboot here in uh, just a couple of minutes. Does that mean? Does that mean I close this whole window and then you send me a new link? Uh, you can stay way. on. Yeah, you can. You can just stay oh. on. He's going to start it from a new uh, on YouTube's end, like. A stream now thing. Oh, okay. And then we'll start talking about quantum mechanics, astrophysics, and biochemistry because those are. So, so you yeah, will talk to... about that. With a stupid look on. Let me let me get this straight. You want me to stop the stream? Correct. 
and starting to 